Welcome to Christ is the Cure with Nick Campbell. Here we bring you theology, apologetics, and a resource for growth on the basis of Scripture alone. Sit back and enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. This is episode 65, and today we're actually have a special guest. It is Josh Hammond who is the author of The Real Martin Luther. It's a biography on Martin Luther, but it's not your stereotypical biography. It's not your stereotypical history book. It's actually kind of like a little comic book, and it's really entertaining, really well done. The information is accurate. It gives an objective point of view on the situation, and it's really hard to put down. You'll keep wanting to turn those pages. I highly recommend it. And so with that being said, this was actually going to be a Reformation Day episode. We were going to put this up on Reformation Day so that you can hear about Martin Luther on the the day itself, but we decided to do this week. That way you can get your copy of the book before Reformation Day. Sit down with some hot chocolate if it's cold enough where you are, and you can read your new Martin Luther book. There's also an opportunity to win a copy of this book on my Instagram page. I'm actually giving away three copies, and the official drawing will be on the 27th, so that hopefully with two-day shipping, you can get it in time for Reformation Day. So yeah, the way that you enter into that is you go to my Instagram page, which if you don't know is at Christ.is.the.cure, and you find the picture of Martin Luther, you like it, or you go to my story, I've been putting it up in my story like every day. Uh, you like it and you get one entry, you tag three friends in it, you get another entry. You can also get another entry by putting it up in your story and tagging my page in it. And you can get another entry by going to therealmartinluther.com and putting your email in, and you get a free sample of the first chapter of the book, as well as getting another entry. So you can get four entries total. But with all that being said, um, here is Josh Hammond. Would you mind telling everyone a bit about yourself, and what would you like people to know about you? Um it's a really interesting way to word the question because it's it's both, you know, talk about yourself, but then it's also talk specifically about what you want them, like, what do you really want them to know? And then don't tell them what you don't want them to know or yeah, you what would you them. like them not to know? Uh, I thought about it's, I got a little wordy with myself there because uh, um, I'm wordy. So my name is Josh Hammond. I live out in the Pacific Northwest on the best coast in a suburb of Seattle. Uh, I'm, I've married one wife, I have three children, and uh, I'm usually thinking about what I could do to get one more tattoo. And then uh, I've got a, I'm a regular guy with a day job who found himself ferry commuting and decided to, to make that ferry commute worth it by writing a book. And then from there, I've worked on, you know, just trying to find a way to get people to know about, get people to know about the book, start discussions about not just the book, but, you know, subjects in the book. And that's kind of my thing. I, I, I go to work, I work on the book, I go home. So, so you, you write a lot of ferries then? Yeah, every, every work day I take a ferry. So it's, I spend about an hour and a half on boats every, not every day, but, you know, five days a week. Yeah, that's, that's pretty different from, you know, where I'm at. Um, so, you, so you wrote, you just decided to, to write the book, um, was there anything in particular that made you want to write the book? Well, I was trying to, um, I, I love, I love reading, I love learning. And so it was kind of an interesting, like, could, is this, it's an interesting combination because I learned a lot both in writing the book, but I also learned about, about how books are like how publishing works, how, how marketing works, how, 
how pod, how being on podcasts works. And so it 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 was kind of this momentary idea that hey, I've, it works with my the workflow of my life, and it sounds really interesting. And it's I already love you know let's do something let's take something I love in a new direction. And so let's take reading in a new direction. And then things kept people uh, the things I needed to have happen happened. The right pe- people said yes, and so here we are. I I have a I have an ISBN number and everything. Very nice. So, um, one thing, one thing I wanted to kind of backtrack on, uh, was that in your bio somewhere, I can't remember where it's that you attempted to disprove God and failed miserably. And would you mind sharing a little bit more about that? Oh yeah. So when I was a teenager, uh, so I didn't grow up in the church. Um, we would go to church Christmas and Easter when grandma and grandpa were in town and that was, that was it. And then when I was a teenager, my mom decided we weren't going to do that anymore. We were going to start going all the time. Uh, and I hated it. I didn't like it. I thought it was boring. Um, it was in a, we were going to, we went to an Episcopal church, which is what my father was raised was Episcopal. And then I got the bright idea that if I can just prove that this is all nonsense, then we'll stop going to church. What could be, what could be simpler than to just, you know, get rid of the reason for going in the first place. Hmm. And so I did a couple of different things. Uh, I, st- I started listening to the sermons and, and I started reading the Bible and other books. And so I had gone, my goal was to just stare into the abyss and then say, look, abyss. But when I went and stared into the abyss, Jesus stared back and it was like, oh, dang, this is all, oh man, now everything's going to be different. Yeah. And then the next summer we moved because my father is in the military and we moved a lot. And then we moved to this new church out in Bremerton in Washington. And I went to this thing I had never done called youth group. <laughs> and the youth, the guy at the youth group had talked about this new idea that I never heard of called reading your Bible every day. And so, yeah, I, I honestly uh, um, came to Jesus kicking and screaming because um, I expected this, this to be impossible. And, but sometimes when you, you know, you actually look, you actually try, you're like, Oh, well, this isn't the this isn't what I was hoping for, but this is um, well, it's frankly better than I was hoping for because I didn't know what I was really asking for in the beginning. Yeah, God's funny that way. One of those little ironies of life, I guess. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of had that experience too. Um, well, not not in the same light, but I come from an unchurched background as well, so I was curious about that. In terms of who you decided to write the book on, going back to um, the book, what made you choose Luther? Like, did you have him in mind already or was there something specific that you just had to choose later or? Um, so that's a little bit of a story in itself. So he was not my first pick actually he wasn't even on my radar initially, but what I had decided was in my initial pick who I, I, I'm keeping secret for secretive purposes. Um, I, I thought about it and I got really excited about it. And then I thought what the book needed to be, the book needed something to be different. It couldn't just be well-written. It needed more than that. So I approached a local illustrator who I knew and said, Hey, what if this book was half book, half comic and went through this whole thing and made her a PowerPoint presentation. And her response was your project is too big and too small. The book you want to do is too big. I don't think we can really do it. And your project is too small because what you want to do is just one book. And I think if I want to do this, I want to sign up to do – I want to do something that we can do as a series. And so that led to a lot of conversations about 
you know, not just the, my first pick, but also how would the format and the style of the book lend itself to a series? And from there, we developed the Holy Misfits concept. And then once we settled on that, we saw it, we looked around and we decided that um, the 500th anniversary of the Reformation was last October. And we decided that he was timely enough that there would be more general interest in him. And coming and while I was saved in an Episcopal church, I now go to a you know nice Reformed church, and it felt like an easy place to like find a book, but also find a niche and know how to talk to that group of people. And because the whole the misfits concept means that it, next book won't be about a Protestant man. We want to do a one about a Catholic woman. Hmm. We want to. We really, you know. So I think while we didn't, he wasn't my first choice. I think he. I think he's a no-brainer for talking about holy misfits and talking about our heroes and seeing our heroes in a little more realistic light. And then I'm hoping that will open the door and bridge, you know, kind of bridge a gap, so that when I write about not your heroes, your people are going to be more open to being more honest about their heroes, but also being willing to be like, wow, these other folks from these other camps, they're pretty awesome, or they did some really amazing stuff, right. or God used them in amazing ways. Because it's not just, you know, good reformed Germans and Englishmen who changed the world. It's not just those people who were used of God. There's um, so many people, and a bunch of them we don't know, because I would challenge most reformed folks, name five important Catholic women. And I think most of them couldn't. And I And I think... Well, no one's gonna. We're never gonna know all of them. That's just too big a list. I think we could we could all benefit from knowing a few. You know, having a few more names um, from different camps and tribes. And yeah, they're not gonna agree with us theologically completely. And some of them will have bad theology. But God used God used bad people. So yep. I don't want to throw them out with the bathwater just because they aren't a five point Calvinist or you know. Uh, the, so there were some really interesting Catholic mystics. I've, I haven't, we haven't picked a second person, but um, obviously I'm starting to f- work on that and think about that and try to find who that next person could be. Yeah, and in terms of like learning from people who, uh, I mean, don't see eye to eye with us, really, I, I consider C.S. Lewis to be one of those individuals because a lot of people don't recognize that theologically he, he had some some issues, but within that, he he was very influential and still is, obviously, with mere Christianity and all that, especially for me whenever um, I first met Christ. And so you can still learn stuff from each individual. They don't have to necessarily see eye to eye. But. Well, and the other thing that I th- think C.S. Lewis is a great example of that, also because you don't realize how other people see him. So one of the groups that actually really love C.S. Lewis and quote him all the time, but a lot of people don't know this, is the Mormons. That is interesting. And part of that's because C.S. Lewis, his style was, while he was he he um, he did it from axioms instead of from the Bible proper, hmm. and that unfortunately leaves it fortunately or it unfortunately leaves him open to interpretation a little bit more than I think he himself would have wanted. But it was his time and place that the way he was influential was by not arguing from the text, but by arguing from. Like self axioms are self-evident truths, yeah. and that you know that's the basis of, and which make great, which are great for the basis of a logical argument. And that was his, you know, that was really his wheelhouse was to talk in a way that you didn't have to know the Bible at all. He almost Socratically got you there, and you're like, and it made sense. Or yeah. you may, we maybe weren't convinced, but you totally saw his point. You saw the through line of his what of his thinking. 
Yeah, he was like the logic master in the midst of all of it. Yeah. Um. Well, so you so you you can't say what your first pick is then, can you? I well, I choose not to because okay. I, I I'm hoping to I'm hoping to get um them into the series, but I haven't. He, uh, he's not a Catholic woman, so he won't be too, <laughs> he won't be the second one, and I don't want to lay seeds that might not work out or might might take a little more time. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so in terms of Luther and his life, um, how did you? choose what you're going to include and exclude and all that. So we, a lot of those choices were made under that holy misfits concept, which I think I'm going to take a second and explain a little more. Cause I think I, I started talking about it without really defining it. Sure thing. And the idea is that there are 2.2 billion people in the world today who call themselves Christians. They agree on nothing, <laughs> not one single thing. And so, the, and we're in all these tribes and sects and, all the tribes have their own heroes and we know all the cool stuff they did and we're ready to high five them. And we almost never hear about the other tribes heroes. And if we do, we actually hear the bad stuff, right? So if you're a reformer, you've heard all the great stuff about Luther, but if you're a Catholic, you've heard all the bad stuff. Yeah. And both sides are right and both sides are wrong. So both sides have a lot to learn. So the goal is with, with Luther and with everyone is to get is to open it up and just say here's what happened good bad other here's what they said here's what they did here's how they responded and here's how the world is different it doesn't it, and not necessarily to judge it but to just say here's what was actually happening here's or here's what they actually did and then and then some of the things too it's like here's some things you've been told that probably aren't true or historically we're not we're just not sure if that really happened that way or if it's just lore or if it's just rumor that's been turned into fact which is through time which happens quite often so right my, my favorite one is napoleon was not short he <laughs> was a he was a normal sized he was actually like one inch tall for yeah. the time but he was painted short in one painting and now he's short forever and ever even though he's not you know even though he's not so with that concept of we just want to tell what happened and we want to be open to some bad, the bad stuff, the good stuff, and the this is maybe not historically accurate, or we're just we just don't have great evidence. That's that was kind of the lens for Luther, which was easy for the including part. It was actually hard on the excluding part, because a lot of the good stuff we've heard, a lot of his better quotes, a lot of the juicier stories, all come from this book that was written after he died called Table Talk, mm -hmm. which is um, typically well regarded, but. Uh, I want. I wish people would use it with a little more caution because it was not written by him. It was not written by um, his his um, right hand folks. It was written by a collection of people, and it's a bunch of snippets. And so it's like everyone remembering a social media post they did and then put, putting that all together because there's no context for a lot of the stories either. And so in there are these beautiful things he may or may not have said to his wife that are really endearing and touching. But also in there, it says that he said that Jesus was a repeat a, offender adulterer. Hmm. And so I would, I, well, I, you can't throw the whole book out because it was written 20 years after he died. So not super far, not super far out. But at the same time, there's no, it's, it's, we treat it like a primary source when maybe when it's like a, when it's almost not a primary source. But at the same time, it's, so how do you, how do you use that information in terms of what happened and what didn't happen, what Luther said and didn't say, what he believed and didn't believe? 
Right. When so much of it comes from there. Now, fortunately, about a third of his sermons were written down and published, which is a couple, which is like 2,500. So we have a ton of his his own writing that we know is his from for primary sources. So we don't need just the table talk book. We have all this other stuff. And he said plenty of awesome and awful things in the other in his own publications, which is helpful for getting that out there. But I think yeah, the big goal was just here's what happened. And you don't have to like it or agree with it or think it's a good thing. But here's what happened. Yeah. So um, in terms of the excluding, was there a specific reason why you decided to, I guess, go as far as you did in terms of the negative aspects of Luther's life that people usually bring up? Like um, uh, you did talk about his temper, if I remember correctly, and you talked about his cursing, mm-hmm. but more of his uh, anti-Semitic type writings like that. Is there... Where a place where you decided to draw the line, and, and if so, why did you? I think I just tried to make keep things tasteful. For, yeah. But at the same time, yeah, he wrote anti-Semitic stuff at the end of his life. He just did. Um, he was super foul-mouthed. He was so foul-mouthed that um, even even though it was somewhat typical of the time, he he would get even his friends would be like, hey, I think I think that might have been too much. And then he just blamed them. No, if I'm angry, it's your fault. It's not my fault that I'm angry. It's your fault. And so I think it's it doesn't need to be glossed over. What he what he changed he changed Western civilization. That does it, but that doesn't make his faults okay. No, it just means that both things were true. Yeah. He had these faults. Um, he he started off very very pro Jewish in the beginning, but then towards the end of his life, he totally did. He totally wasn't. And I'm uh I'm writing you know I'm writing historic I'm writing history, so I'm not analyzing. Here's what happened, you know this here's the key event where he changed and became a different person. No, here's, here's what happened. Here's what he's wrote. He wrote this, um, one publication, the peasants revolted and he wrote a, he wrote a publication called against the murderous thieving horde of peasants in which he told them they should all just, you know, Nope, God, God ordained these authorities over you. So you need to just deal with it. And then it was so harshly written that his friends told him that maybe that shouldn't, maybe you overdid it there. And so he wrote a follow-up letter in which he said, no, I was totally right. I was as mean as I meant to be. It's the peasant's fault. They deserve to be slaughtered. It was awful. And so, but I don't want to make that make his whole, I don't want those, those parts of him to be his whole life either because he did, he did, I think he fairly pointed out that the indulgence system was being abused and it was being abused against what was written as doctrine in the Catholic church and was published doctrine. And he did, he did reform how we, the whole system of how we get married, not intentionally, but he did. He was the one who kept music and art in Protestantism. If they, if he wasn't there, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know if we'd sing at church. Yeah. Because he was amongst all the reformers. He was the only one who thought music and art were important. You know, and honestly, that was one of the things that, um, I, I was, whenever I was reading through it between the marriage and the music, I was like, well, I, I honestly never heard of that before until I read your book. So that was an interesting tidbit there. Um, I know he wrote, wrote a lot of hymns like prior, but I didn't know that he kind of changed the way we um, operated, I guess. Right. And I think, like I said, some of that I think was unintentional. A lot. I mean, some of the things in his whole, like even while he intentionally was trying to reform the church, as you can imagine, he said he called himself a reformer. He wasn't trying to create a new church. He was just trying to get, he was trying to reform the current system. I mean, the first, the first liturgies he wrote for the church 
we're Latin. We're in Latin, and we're meant to be just a reformed mass. It was. It took a little bit before the whole before he wrote a vernacular service. Right, and that's one of those misconceptions, like, oh yeah, Luther broke off and he wanted to start his whole new church. It's like, no, he was just trying to fix the church that was there. So that's just right. That was yeah. That was his initial goal, and then later it did change to wanting to split because as, as he started meeting with other reformers, he was also wanting to split from them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and so same, it, uh, it, it did become. He did become inten- intentionally divisive. Yeah, he did become meaningfully divisive, but that wasn't his initial goal. When he initially, we on the October thirty first, we celebrate him nailing the. 95 theses to the church door, which is one of those things that may or may not have happened. Um, it might have happened. It just might not have happened. But even when he had done that, that was like his third or fourth writing against indulgences abuses. Yeah, It wasn't his first one. So when he did it, he did not think, this is going to change the world. I'm going to total my my Instagram is going to blow up after this. He, he he was he went to the church in between going to the grocery store and picking up the mail. And you know I'm going to start. You know I'm still trying to get this debate going. And so here we go. But he didn't. I I'm quite confident he had no idea that it was going to become internationally, you know, an international issue at the time. Yeah. And it, I mean, and this is one of the things we expected that it, it all happened immediately. But like you said, it, it wasn't like that at all. It was, it kind of bubbled up to that. Um, I was wondering about this too in your research. I think it was R.C. Sproul. It's kind of um, a random thing. Had told the story, I guess maybe a myth about kids actually taking his ninety-five theses, throwing them on a printing press, and that's how it all got around. Is there anything verifiable about that, or is that just? Um, I ha- I haven't heard that particular story. Um, but whether, so one of the things we know he did is he sent a copy to the archbishop, um, because he, well, a common way for people at university to start debates was the nailing, you know, we think of it as like, you know, a nine pound hammer and a (laughs) railroad nail putting on the 95 theses up. But in reality, it was the church bulletin board was just on the door. So you tacked it up on the door Yeah, and that's, so the. The fact that it might have happened. So it's totally possible that it happened. But we know he sent a copy to the archbishop. Um, and that's what started off the first diet. So um, so I don't know if the kids did it, but it was going to happen anyway because he was doing this in an official manner. He right. wasn't doing it quietly. He had art, Like I said, he'd already been writing and publishing before that. And the printing press is uh, 65-ish years old at this point. So getting, you know, that was, that'd be a typical mode of publication mm-hmm. for, for someone at his, at his level as a professor. Yeah. Um, so in terms of, um, I guess, the outcome of the Reformation, a lot of people consider it to be an actual failure because of the expressions of the Christian faith. Um, do you think that he would see it as a failure? I think I think if he if he could, you know, if he uh, took a break from from the halo and hung out, I think I don't think he'd be happy because it wouldn't be his expression the way he was expressing it in terms of what the faith was meant to be. Um, but uh, more objectively, doesn't feel like the word subjectively. In my opinion, was the Reformation a failure? Um, no, not not. It wasn't the success it could have been, but I think the reality was is 
part of us leaving the leaving the medieval ages and entering the Renaissance was it was going the church was going to change, and it was the reformers who walked confidently into the Renaissance, into um, all these academics who are suddenly discovering the primary sources again, who are suddenly reading things in their original language, not just the Bible, but um, you know Greek literature and Roman literature. And it was the reformers who, instead of the instead of the Renaissance being an academics attack on the church, the Reformation was the church trying to deal with it itself. Right. And I think in that way, I think it was a success. Um, instead of what we have done more modernly in our American culture wars, which I think we lost. <laughs> um, I'll just throw that grenade. I wasn't planning on it. It's it's welcomed. I agree. It's it was, it was the church trying to deal with the reality with the realities of life, and the Bible and history within the church, and yeah. obviously the the emperor got involved, so it, it wasn't just totally neatly you know within the family so to speak, but if the Reformation hadn't have occurred, the academics were were they already were, but they were going to attack the church, and I don't know how that would have gone, and I. So I'm thinking it was God's plan not for it to not go that way, since there's all these reformers, not just this, not just Luther, but a whole a whole slew of them, over the next 150 years. Yeah, and I mean, there's plenty of things that were beneficial that came out of the Reformation. I mean, you can pretty much thank freedom of religion and separation of church and state and stuff like that from those principles at least. So I guess the the biggest thing I've heard of it being a failure was the the 30,000 denominations kind of thing but mm -hmm. and that's just one of those areas where it's like well I guess it, it depends on how you define denomination and how you see it yeah well and you know he reformed the Catholic Church somewhat um, it didn't happen during his lifetime but the indulgence system still exists except today you there's no money involved it's forbid money is forbidden from being involved and um, the system where you got like specific amount of time off of purgatory mm -hmm. has also been removed. Um, you, it is still meant to be ben a benefit to help you spend less time in purgatory. But I think, I think they, they, the indulgence system was reformed in such a way that it got back to the spirit of indulgences, which um, I learned a whole bunch about because I didn't know anything about that. But the system of indulgences was like initially kind of was initially invented to deal with like sin as a math problem. You know, if I, if I steal your wallet, that's one sin. If I punch you in the face, that's two sins. And if, if there's, if sin is quantifiable and there are earthly consequences for sin because I punched you in the face. So like, you know, while, while God has ultimate justice, you know, I might need some earthly consequences to teach me that maybe I shouldn't be punching podcast hosts in the face. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of the initial, uh, best I can tell, that's what the indulgence system was really about. And then by the time we get to Luther's time, it's totally out of whack and getting abused because now it's people being told you can go, you can go to heaven. It doesn't matter what you did in life, and all you got to do is donate enough money. And you know, yeah. it wasn't what it was meant to be. And after his time, that changed. So he, there were some of his, some of his gold, some of the reforms he was aiming for did happen. Well, was it at Trent that they uh, fixed that? Do you know? I don't. I don't know offhand. Um, 
I just know it was after it, it happened two separate times. There was the money part was different than the purgatory, like specific time and purgatory part. Gotcha. Um, and I know it happened after he died, but I, I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm a, I spent a lot of time learning about Luther, but not as much time learning about. Yeah. I thought it was interesting that you mentioned, uh, his dialogues with Erasmus for some reason. I've never read those. Did you by chance get a uh, chance to look into those? Um, I did. I just a touch. Uh, I did. I, in, I did the intro. The, if you read the introduction to the bondage of the will, there's a that's because that's actually his response to a, a book by Erasmus. Right. Um, that's I think that was most of what I read. I just it was clear. I didn't read the whole bondage of the will book because while I'm, it's really important and historical and seminal and da 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 da, it's it's super long and dry. Yeah. Um, and I, I want to read history books and comic books. Um, <laughs> but it was really interesting for, to me to learn that they were less enemies and more, um, they were, they were more respectful than I had c- come to understand. And I learned a lot about, I, the little bit I've ever heard about Erasmus was just, you know, he was this, um, Catholic who wrote, who wrote and was, um, I think he wanted to reform the church too, but in a different way from a different, from, well, from definitely a different perspective. Right. So I gained, I guess I gained a little more respect for Erasmus from the fact that he dealt with it from the page and not just from the, Hey, whatever, you know, this is how it is. And this is how it's gotta be. He dealt with it from an intellectual level of like, we can talk about this and here's why, here's where I disagree. Um, and then Luther, you know, Luther, and they could have that discussion, which is kind of what Luther was really wanting was we, we should talk about these things because I think if we could talk about them, we could fix them right. because isn't it, you know, shouldn't it be obvious that some of these things don't work or don't make sense or clearly are against the catechisms? Like, and what, and that was the goal, right? To start a debate. Right. And I mean, they, they discuss things way better than, than we do today. Really. If you think about it, like, Oh yeah, I'm going to write up this really long, well thought out thing and you're going to respond to it. It's like, that doesn't, that doesn't really happen anymore. <laughs> right. Uh, the trolls have trolls have taken over. Yeah. It's all Twitter now, right? Well, yeah, it's all, sh- well, yeah, you're right. It's also very short. Yeah. It's, it's not, they don't put that much effort. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of a refreshing thing to see those kind of dialogues whenever you're looking back in history. Um, so whenever you were researching for the book, was there anything that uh, struck out in particular? Uh, I know you um, mentioned indulgences being something that you were kind of like, whoa. But uh, I did learn. I did learn a lot about a lot of things. Um, I think maybe one of my favorite ones was uh, I had no idea how much he respected his, his wife, and not that I had heard he was mean or awful to her. I just um, I didn't realize how much he really thought for her and cared for her. Um, for one, one point he's, he has to go and travel, but in his, in his, he needs a new pastor to get hired locally. And because he has to go travel, he sends his wife and a couple of his better, you know, his, his right hand people to go figure it out. He says, I need you can, you know, I need you to go help pick a pastor and I keep, but I can't go, but it need, it's so important. It needs to happen. And so he sent her, hmm. um, she managed the money, uh, he was not good at managing money. He didn't do crazy, like awful things with money. He just wasn't good at it. Uh, I I was really touched by their interactions. Um, unfortunately, we don't have many of we don't have her writings. We just have his. Um, and but they're they're super. 
he's he's uh, I'm getting tongue tied just being excited about how how nice they were, how nice he was to her and how much he respected her. He gave her he called her his doctor and she was in fact his doctor. And she called her his lord, not capital L U R D but um L O R D but like king yeah. or sire. Um and I know not all the there's a there's a lot of men in church history who have done a lot of great things, and a lot of them have been awful husbands hmm. and awful parents. And and again, not saying Martin Luther was perfect, but and he didn't he w- didn't necessarily intend to ever get married, and he didn't necessarily intend to marry her, but she asked him and another guy at the same time, and he said yes. But yeah, I really pre- it was really cool to hear that you know he he cared for her, he respected her, he loved her, and then he he cared and respected his children. Yeah, you, um, you actually give a good deal about her in your book, too, more than I actually had known about previously as well. You don't really hear much about her. Um, she was always kind of like, oh, well, you know, Martin Luther kind of had to marry her is what I always heard it as, and that's just what happened. And it's like, well, okay, and I just never really questioned it for some reason, and then I read your book. I was like, oh, that's refreshing. I, I just didn't know that. Yeah, she's actually the, – the chapter on her is the longest chapter. Oh. Because she is – that important like he lived as long as he lived because she was his doctor hmm. um that he was given the monastery at a certain point uh, in this of uh, uh, a building with 40 rooms on the first floor and even if he had been like really well organized and thoughtful and good at money and all that stuff like it's how do you take care of that and write and preach and have borders and yeah. and and and, and? Um, they were a great team, I think is what it really came down to. And while I don't think he intended, he definitely didn't intend to marry her. I don't think, and I don't know that they were in love and love at the beginning. I think, I think she appreciated his fearlessness because at that time he had two death sentences. And I think he appreciated that she was tough. Um, one of, they tried to marry her off to another guy whose name isn't coming to mind, but she wouldn't because he was a jerk and that was it. In fact, she wrote a letter asking a friend for help, and he responded with, he's married, he's, or he's not married, he's single, he's a Christian, he has a job. What's the problem? And her response was, I don't like him. I don't respect him. You marry me or Luther should marry me. And that's a pretty bold statement, especially for a, a woman in the 16th century who, if she didn't get married, um, or she didn't have a lot of options, and her family had already paid a dowry for her to become a nun, and they did that because – and they put her in the cheapest de- option available. So they were never going to have another dowry for her to marry another man. Yeah. So um, I, I, I found myself having a lot of respect for the fact that she was tough and she was willing to – she was willing to do the right thing. And she was willing even if other people didn't like it. Yeah, and she, she kind of had to be tough if, too to be with Martin Luther. <laughs> it's like, well, in the situation and the way you know he was, it was mm-hmm. a good fit. Yeah. So whenever it comes to the series, do you know how many volumes you're kind of aiming for or you're just taking a step at a time? We're just taking it a step at a time. That I mean, it makes sense. If this if this becomes my project for the rest of my life, that doesn't sound that doesn't sound half bad. I'll get to learn about a bunch of cool people, I'll get to meet a bunch of cool people, I'll get to, you know, that sounds great. If it just becomes, you know, 3 or 5 or whatnot, that's, you know, that is what it is. It's my first, this is my biggest project ever. So 
I, I don't know, and I don't uh, necessarily have a goal other than to um, make some, you know, make a book, make books worth reading, and help, and and you know, I like, I really do, really, I really do like the Holy Misfits concept. I like that it's about just here's what happened. Here are these people you may not have either you read about or you haven't read about, but you don't know the whole story because all we ever tell each other is the snippets, mm-hmm. the really good and the really bad. But here's here's more of a complete picture or at least an introduction to a complete picture. Yeah. And with um, and I was thinking about whenever I was reading your book that, well, a lot of people don't like to just sit down and read a hard history book. Um, I'm, I guess I'm one of those people who are weird because a lot of people I talk to, they don't really care about history that much because they don't like reading through the material. But the way you present the material is anyone could read and enjoy it. And with that said, I mean, you could probably make uh, books that are kind of in that style on periods of history if you really wanted to, like the early church or something. If you really felt ambitious, I guess that'd be quite the project. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Especially the illustrations, that, man. Yeah. And fortunately, I like I, Bryn did all the illustrations and uh, I, I like them all and I love, there's some of them and I really love. And I'm, I'm with you. I like reading history. I like reading biography. But a lot of people, yeah. Don't want to slog through it, but here's a book you 100% don't have to slog through, whether it's your typical thing or not. So if you love it, if like if you love history, you're gonna love this book. Um, and if you don't love history, you're gonna love how you this. You're gonna love learning about history this way, um, because it is. It's 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 great if, if it's especially if sarcasm is your love language, um, then you know it's a good time. It'll you'll you'll laugh, you'll smirk. You'll, you'll roll your eyes a couple of times. Uh, I I had far too many silly jokes, and uh, some of them were really funny for me, and I've realized since then that, like, oh, I guess only I got that, but I, <laughs> well, it's fine. I like I wrote it. I can like it. Yeah. Yeah, that happens too often where you get that dead stare from either your kid or your wife because you just made a lame dad joke or something. Um, yeah, but Gary Chapman should definitely add sarcasm as a love language. That's, that's, that's a good one. Maybe you should consider that as a field too. Yeah. I'll write, I'll write his follow-up book. Yeah. The missing, the missing two love languages, sarcasm and bacon. Yeah. I, Gary I, was, re- you were really close, Gary. I mean, five out of seven rock solid. Yeah, that's but... good. And I, and I love the endorsements on the back of your book. Honestly, um, you got an endorsement from Josh Hammond that was really, you know, telling, you know, this book looks really great on you. Really, really great. You know? And, uh, um, well, I, I, so the back of the book, uh, is full of these fake endorsements, like which you're being very kind about. Um, I got the idea from reading. No, I think they're hilarious. Really. I got it from Ellen DeGeneres. Oh, she has a, uh, you should, I've got a, I don't know what the book's called cause I just looked at the back, but the first one is you look really great holding this book. And then it says <laughs> Ellen DeGeneres author of this book. And then the next one is like, but seriously, you're looking awesome today. Did you do something with your hair? Ellen DeGeneres. <laughs> da, 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 da. And then the very last two are like, I don't want you, don't tell anybody else, but you're my favorite. Ellen DeGeneres, yeah, the, you know, author of this book. When you got John Tetzel on the back of this thing, it's like, man, that, that's impressive. Yeah. Um, just because he's been dead for hundreds of years doesn't mean I can't misquote him. <laughs> it happens all the time. So yeah. it's all right. <laughs> now that it's really cool. Um, so one last kind of curveball for you. I noticed the the Ministry of War. I was trying to look a little bit more into that. Um, is that kind of the platform you're creating then for what's going on? Yes. So the, there's four of us. There's myself and then Bryn James, who did the illustrations, and then her husband, Ryan James, who 
um, helped with the website and some gra and graphic design and trying to get him to finish a banner right now because we're going to be at a Comic-Con. And, and then my wife helps with marketing and um, find and finding new avenues to to reach out to as and some other you know, but as a, we we were a team and we needed a name and um, I've had the Ministry of War at Gmail since high school and I was like well what if we just called ourselves that we're nobodies nobody you know who cares and then uh, um, the Jameses were like actually yeah we kind of like that idea actually I'm like sweet is that domain available yes it is buy it <laughs> um, so. Right now we're really right, we have one book, so we're just really focused on the book, and then we're we're hoping to grow it into, yeah, the series and more of a platform, which we'll call the Ministry of War. We don't have a funny slogan to go with that yet. Uh, we're not here to fight you, but um, I'm just I I guess I really want to be offensive or make people concerned. Yeah. And it's Ministry of War with the first book of Martin Luther. So no, I was kidding. Yeah, it's, <laughs> Yeah, there you go. It's perfect. It's um, perfect. It's a perfect fit. Yeah. Um, where is the Comic Con? Is it in Washington, right? Uh, Seattle? Is that what it said? Um, there's one. There is. Well, there's lots of them. I'm. We're gonna be at the. It's called the Jet City Comic Show, which is in Tacoma. Okay, which Tacoma. Is the, which is another big city up in Washington. Um, but we have a boot. We're gonna have. It's November third and fourth for all your um, Western Washington listeners. Uh, we'll have a booth, and then I'm actually doing a discussion called From Boring to Captivating, The Power of Comics, <laughs> and talking about how comics could make things better and how fake comics makes things worse. All right. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're up in Washington, there you go. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time to uh, sending me the book and coming on the show. It's been fun. No, this has been great. I really appreciate it. Yeah, um, so hopefully we can chat a little bit later, maybe down the road whenever you get another book out or whatever's happening. And do you have any uh, last places you want to point the listeners to? Oh, yeah. So we have, you can get a free sample of the book at our website, therealmartinluther.com. Um, it's now, we just put it out on Kindle. And so you can get a, a, sa a sample on Kindle through Amazon, or it's a part of the Kindle Unlimited program. So if you subscribe to that, you can check the book out via Kindle Unlimited. Um, but honestly, I just, you know, I'd love for people to check it out, read the sample, write me an email telling me how much they hate it or love it or doesn't make any sense. I've had a lot of fun meeting people and just having fun conversations and answering questions and hearing different perspectives and ideas. And, you know, I, I, I'd love it if, you know, feel free to reach out. Uh, I'm still... I'm I'm almost completely obscure, and so I'm really easy to get a hold of. Still, I don't have any gatekeepers. Hmm. It's a fun book. Have some, you know. I hope I hope people will check it out. I hope they'll have a good time. All right, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. So there you have it. If you want to connect with Josh, you can find him on Instagram as well, and I believe I tagged him in the post that is doing the giveaway. So if you go enter in the giveaway, you'll see his name or the real Martin Luther's page in the the caption there. So you can do that. You can also go to the get your free sample or just order the book because it really is a great book. I highly recommend it. I really do. Um, with that being said, we will look forward to next week. I'm not really sure, uh, on the progress of the Trinity episode in the theology series. It may be more than one part because I am wanting to ensure that, I am getting all the information you guys would need to be well-informed, well-equipped, and well-prepared 
to talk about Trinitarianism um, and life. So that being said, God bless you all and have a great, great weekend.